Well, I remember sitting in a room when I was 16. I was at a teen camp. It was a Jesus camp because that's what you do when you grow up in a Christian household, a conservative Christian household. You go to Jesus camp. And I remember um, I was sitting in a room with eight other guys who I had no idea who they were. Um, This was in Kansas City. But in one moment, in that moment, together we had one thing in common. We wanted to see if God would hear us. We wanted to see if God would hear us. There was this young kid in our group. He was 16, but he acted like he was 7. He was tremendously annoying. I could not stand him whatsoever. He was this clumsy dude, and the day previous, he was out skateboarding um, at camp, and he tried. He didn't know how to skateboard. He was just giving it a shot. (laughs) He was awful. And so he's out skateboarding, and he tries this new trick. And he goes up, and he falls on both of his wrists. And he breaks both of his wrists at the same time. And we felt so bad for him in that moment. He was going to have an awful time at camp for the rest of the time, right? And so this next day, we're sitting in this room, and we're doing a Bible study or something. I remember our leader of our group said something. He said, do you guys want to see God move? Do you guys want to see your friend get healed here this morning? I remember that doubt just swept over me. I was like, God, there's no way that you're going to help this poor kid who, I don't know, didn't, he should not have been skateboarding in, that, in the first place. God, why, was, why did he do that? Jesus, why would you heal somebody that just does something so stupid like that? What, what are you doing, God? Right? And so I was like, I guess God could move. And so we decided to pray for him. And we all laid our hands on him. And I remember... Nothing happened, right? Nothing happened whatsoever, and we were ready to just call it and be like, okay, I guess that was that, right? But what happened next really threw me off guard. The kid said, do it again. Pray for me. Pray for me again. I want to see God move. Pray for me again. I want to see God move. I want to see him heal me. I remember that this dynamic in the room shifted in that moment. And then we began to, like, pray in faith that moment, that God could actually move and God could actually heal him. And so we took his arm braces off, both of them on his wrists. We took those off and we started praying that in the name of Jesus, come and we ask that you would heal this young man because you have the power to do so, Jesus. You have the power to do so and we claim your authority in this moment. And all of a sudden, his thumbs started to move and he was starting to make a fist. And then he was doing this with his wrists. And then he was moving his arms because he was weird. And it was this wild moment where we saw that God moved. And we saw that Jesus had healed this young kid. And I cannot believe what I had just seen. He went to the hospital the next day. And the doctors were like, you're healed. I suggest you wear that wrist brace. But there's nothing, there's no problems here with your wrist. God had moved in that moment, and I remember being 16 years old, and I remember trying to figure out, what the heck do I do with this experience? Like, God, you have moved, you've heard our prayers, but why? Why do you care about that? Why did you move in that way? What are you up to? I remember that this event changed my life. It changed how I saw God through some really, I mean, God moved through some really messy teenagers in that moment who didn't have their lives put together, 
But Jesus wanted to move because we prayed a prayer of faith. And I remember that had we not prayed that prayer of faith, that God could not have moved in the way that he wanted to. And that we got to experience a testimony of God in that moment. And that was powerful. This is the kind of God that we serve. This is the kind of God who longs to give us these gifts because we are his sons and his daughters. And he is excited to move. He is excited to hear from you. And we just have to take that opportunity and to invite him into our lives in that way. Today we're going to be talking about prayer. Today we're going to be talking about how when we connect with God through prayer, that he's ready to move, he's ready to work, and he's ready to get some business done. Now, prayer could mean a lot of different things. It could mean intercessory prayer, where you're praying for other people. It could be breath prayer, meditative prayer. The Bible talks about all these different kinds of prayer. But the best definition that I like is from this woman named Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Sacred Rhythms. It's on the screen here. It says, prayer is all the ways in which we communicate in which we commune with God. Prayer is all the ways in which we talk to God and all the ways in which we be with God in an intentional way. And this morning we're going to be jumping into a text where Jesus himself reveals to us what it means to pray. And this takes place in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous sermon. And in this time he's talking to his disciples and he's talking to this giant crowd and he's instructing them what it means to have faith in this day and age. Back then, 2,000 years ago. But before we begin and hop into our message this morning, I think it would be deeply ironic if I don't begin by praying. So we're going to pray right now. All right. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for, for coming here. God, and I thank you for being here by your spirit. This morning, Lord, we want to invite you. We want to say, God, would you move in our hearts in a way that only you can Would you do something profound and would you do something special in each and every one of us this morning? I ask that you would highlight opportunities for you to move in our lives and that we would receive those and that we would live in light of those. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. Again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. Otherwise, it's on the screen. Follow along with me here. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. Words of Jesus. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans do. For they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. This is how you ought to pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
Perhaps if you grew up Catholic or from a more traditional background, you want to end it off here with saying, for thine is the kingdom and uh, the, the glory and the power forever. Amen. I think I got that wrong, but I wasn't Catholic. Sorry. So, all right. Okay. So lots of us grew up in proximity to this prayer, right? Lots of us grew up saying this perhaps when we were in Catholic school or in Sunday school. That doesn't mean, just because you grew up in proximity doesn't mean that you've understood its meaning and significance for your life. It doesn't mean that you've internalized the meaning of this passage for you. What you may not know is that what Jesus is articulating here was radically countercultural. Because prayer at this time, it was largely relegated. It wasn't entirely, but it was largely relegated to the religious elite. It was largely relegated to the public prayers of the synagogue, right? Where they would come together on Saturday mornings and they would pray. And that was how prayer was done during that time. And what we see here is that Jesus is switching our perspective on prayer. Jesus is saying that, no, prayer is something that should be personal. And the first thing that I want you to get today is that Jesus democratizes access to God through prayer in a radically new way. Jesus is democratizing our access to be able to to have a connection with God in a very powerful personal way. And he's inviting us into that. And this was unheard of in that time. As we read in verses 5 and 6, we read this. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, right? Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close that door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees you will reward you. Here Jesus is is talking about the motive behind prayer. He, He makes that the central focus. And in this context, those who were praying hypocritically or those who were praying in the public sphere often were praying in order to be seen by others. Often were praying in order to receive praise from others. And were not praying with the motive of trying to connect with God at the deepest part of who they were. So Jesus isn't attacking public prayer here. What Jesus is is coming against here, he's saying don't pray in order to be to look cool, in order to look religious, in order to look pious. I want your heart. I want your heart. I want your genuine expression of your experience, and I want you to invite me into that. But praying, we're still guilty of this today. Praying like this is like praying to sound spiritual. It's like praying with all the ists and all the isms, right? It's like praying the five to seven minute monologue before you you eat dinner and you're thanking God for every last hand that somehow was able to bless this meal. Or it's praying with the Father God, we thank you because you're Father God. Father God, we love you. Thank you, Father God. Father God, thank you. And it doesn't make sense. And it shouldn't, right? That's not what Jesus is asking for us when we pray. What Jesus wants is a genuine expression of our experience. And he wants us to invite God into that. And we go on in verses 7 and 8. He says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans do, like the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask of him. And Jesus' point here is to say that his disciples should avoid meaningless, repetitive prayers offered under the misconception that somehow their length would make them efficacious, would make them effective. Now sometimes, and sometimes those of us in this room can think that if we pray in a certain formula, 
then God will answer us. So for instance, if I pray, God, I'm going to pray every day of this week at 7 a.m. And then you're going to show up. God, I'm going to, I'm going to do uh, three hours of prayer this afternoon. And then you're going to have to answer me. And Jesus is attacking this idea because what that is, is it's trying to get one up on God. It's trying to manipulate God into doing something that God may not be interested in doing. Right? What Jesus wants is for you to just honestly bring your desires to him. To bring your needs to him. He wants you to invite him into that. Now, Richard Foster, he is an incredible man. I really like this guy a lot. And in his book called Prayer, he writes this. He says, when we pray, when we genuinely pray, the real condition of our heart is revealed. This is as it should be. This is when God truly begins to work with us. The adventure is just beginning. This couldn't be more accurate. When we begin the work of praying honestly, God begins to move in us and he begins to move through us in ways that we did not see possible. So prayer isn't about God's ego here. Prayer, what we see here is that prayer is largely about us coming into connection with God. It's about God doing a sanctifying work in you when you pray to God. Because he wants to see you grow. And he wants to see you. He, he wants to move in your life. And he's willing to do so through prayer. Right? I remember back in seminary. It was my first class. And my professor started this class with this bold statement. He said, most Christians pray in order to keep God away from them. Most Christians pray in order to keep God at a distance. And it's. I was like, what do you mean? Don't we pray in order to be close to God? And no, what he said is, when we pray religiously, we're missing out on seeing God move in our lives. We're missing out on seeing God being able to move through our genuine experience. And when we pray honestly, like Richard Foster's telling us to, like Jesus is instructing us to, that's when we get to see God move. When you get to say, God, I am broken and I need you to move in my life in this way. That's when God moves. Not before dinner time. He might. He might. I don't want to get that wrong. God hears all of our prayers, right? But what God is wanting is a genuine expression. A genuine experience. And to invite him into that. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't just talk about motives here, though. Now he shifts in this text to talk more about how we ought to pray. What it looks like for us to pray. And he provides us with what we call a model prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer, if you know it by that name. And he provides us this guide. And we see that Jesus provides guiding principles which instruct us how to pray. Jesus provides guiding principles which instruct us how to pray. There's four points of focus that Jesus gives particular attention to in this model prayer. Our first focus is found in verses 9 and 10. He says this, it says, this then is how you ought to pray. And whenever you hear Jesus say, this is what you should do, you should pay attention, right? So this is how you should pray, disciples. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm a nerd, and so I'm going to point this out. There are some interesting pronouns here, everybody. Um, <laughs> in this portion of the Lord's Prayer, we see that The pronouns here are all about God. He says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And the focus is on God here. And what what this reveals to us is that if prayer is all about us, then we're talking to the air. If it's all about what 
we need, and it's not about connecting with God, then we're going to miss something. That prayer needs to be an invitation for God to come into your life and to move in light of that, right? And surrendering our will is what prayer is about here. We see that, that prayer, the first focus that I want you to get today, I'm sorry, I skipped over this. Prayer synchronizes our will with God's will. Prayer synchronizes our will with God's will. That, that if, when we pray, we want our lives to come into the same connectedness, the same plan, the same will, the same desires that God has for us. And we have to leave our wills and some of our desires at the door in order for us to come into connection, into synchrony, synchrony, that's not a word, into synchronization with Jesus, right? And surrendering our will to God is tremendously difficult. You know that the thing that often keeps us from praying, though, is distrust. The reason that we don't pray often is because we honestly don't believe that if God was good, like if we, the reason we don't pray is because we don't trust that God would, would actually lead our lives in the right way. And we want to hold on to that white-knuckled control and saying, God, I can do it my way. I don't want to invite you into that. And that keeps us from being able to pray and to experience life-changing in our lives. Surrendering our plans for God's better plan is about trust, and it's about love. I remember back when Lucy and I were dating, we'd been dating for about eight or nine months at this time, and I was ready to say those big three words. I was ready to say, I love you, right? (laughs) And I remember being a little neurotic, and I asked 15, it was more like 20 or 25 people, what it means to say I love you because I wanted to make sure that I said it right and that I meant it. And so I remember as I was asking those people that the main answer that I got back is that love is about surrender. Love is about surrendering your will for the sake of somebody else, your plans, your desires for someone else's good. And I think that the same principle is true in our own life with God as we pray. That our prayer lives become more intimate, they become more meaningful, they become more significant when we can begin to surrender our need for control to God. This is what prayer helps us do. It helps us recognize that in order for our prayers to be effective and meaningful, we have to be willing to submit our wills. We have to be willing to let God move in our lives in ways that we often just want to move in ourselves. As we move on in the Lord's Prayer here, we see that Jesus transitions from focusing upon God and his will in our life, and he focuses about how God provides for us through prayer. And so the pronouns here shift from your, your, your to our, our, our. And so we see in verse 11 here, he says, give us today our daily bread. It's a simple, profound verse. Give us today our daily bread. And what Jesus means when he writes our daily bread here. This is another way of saying our basic needs, our daily needs. And the second guiding principle that I want you to get today is that prayer invites God to fulfill our needs. True, honest prayer demands that we bring our real needs before God and trust that he is a good enough God to receive those and to move in light of those. Now, it doesn't just mean basic needs in the sense of food, shelter, clothing, right? I remember being like a really angry kid. And I remember that I would just like dominate a room when I got angry. I would lash out and get super frustrated. And then it would be awkward and everybody would look at me funny. But I remember learning. (laughs) I remember learning 
when I was a kid, this simple little trick. I'd say, Holy Spirit, thank you for your peace. God, I need your peace. God, I need your peace in this moment. Thank you for your peace. And I remember that God would provide peace for me every single time that I prayed that prayer. That his peace would flow through me. And God wants us to invite him into our lives and our basic needs. And simple needs that we have each and every day. It doesn't end here. In verse 12, we read this. He says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. What this verse illustrates to us is that God doesn't just desire to provide for our physical needs, but also our spiritual needs as well. He wants to provide needs, uh, provide peace, but he also wants to provide reconciliation for us as well. And this third guiding principle that I want you to get is that prayer helps us to receive peace and reconciliation. Because prayer is a naturally humbling thing, and it says, God, I'm not good enough in and of, it, in and of myself. God, I need you to move in my life, and I want you to provide the peace that only you can provide. Forgive me, God. Forgive me. And what we see is that this peace, though, that prayer provides for us, it helps us receive. It doesn't just exist between us and God. It's not just a reconciliation based in the way that Jesus has reconciled us to God from our sins. But it also extends horizontally. It also extends relationally with one another, right? And so when we receive that peace and reconciliation with God, it enables us, it empowers us to go out and to reconcile with one another, to see peace reign in our lives altogether. As there's a fascinating phrase here at the end of this verse, he says, as we have also forgiven our debtors, right? Here's how you begin to reconcile with one another. Here's how you forgive one another. You, You bring that experience of hurt that you have. You hold on to it here, and you invite God into that feeling. You invite God into that hurt. You say, God, I cannot deal with this on my own. God, would you move in my life? Would you bring reconciliation? Would you bring peace in my life in only the way that you can? God, help me to go and extend this to my relationships across the board. And the last verse of our, day, uh, of our text today is verse 13, and it says this says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus offers us is one last guiding principle for our prayers. He wants us to know that prayer empowers God to lead us in the right way. Prayer empowers God to lead us in the right way. That when we pray, we're asking God to move in our lives, to transform us, and to make our behaviors look different to change our affections, to change our focus points, to change our desires. God is excited to move, and he is excited to bring you into uh, a synchronization of your will with his will, right? Remember that wizard of wisdom, Richard Foster? He, He has this to say. He says, to pray is to change. To pray is to change, because prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. To pray is to change. And many of you in this room are hoping for some kind of change to take place in your lives. Many of you in this room can identify an area where you want to see God move. Whether it's your finances, or your grades, or your marriage. You know that God has the potential to move in your life. And you want to see him do it. There's an opportunity this morning for those of us who are experiencing that desire. For God to move. 
and for God to change what only he can change this morning. If you want to be serious about growing in a serious relationship with Jesus, you need to pray authentically. You need to bring your real, raw requests before God and invite him into your experience. Because to pray in this way is to change. You want, to, you want the life that you feel like God could give you. But he just hasn't responded in how you wanted him to yet. To pray is to change. To invite him authentically into that experience is what his invitation is for you this morning. You have an opportunity to step out this morning. To challenge God to move in your life. You have an opportunity to be connected to God through prayer this morning. To go deeper in your life with Christ. God is excited to lead you, to deliver you from evil once and for all, and to draw you into a symphony of your wills. So I'm going to invite the worship team up here. We'll have our prayer team come up here in a second as well. But before we enter into a time of prayer ministry this morning, I want to say that this access that we have to God through prayer is only because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. The reason that we can communicate freely with God and commune with him in all these different ways is only because of what Jesus has done. He's done it for you, and he wants you to see him move in your life. In fact, we're invited to connect with God because Jesus has brought us close to him through what he has achieved in his life and ministry.